Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue, and thank you for joining us right now. And we'll be with you until midday. Today, we're looking at a political story, and we're staying in terms of revisiting the issues of Sudan. We've been doing that for a couple of weeks now. Now, we're looking at uh, the situation in terms of the position of the African Union when it comes to Sudan itself. African leaders meeting in Cairo, Egypt, in on Tuesday, rather, agreed to give Sudan's uh, ruling military council three months to implement uh, democratic reforms amid pressure for a quick handover of power uh, to civilians. The decision extends a 15-day deadline set by the African Union, and uh, this was for last week for the Sudan's Transitional Military Council to hand over power to civilians or to be suspended from the grouping. Uh, the council took over after President Omar al-Bashir was ousted on April 11, but Bashir is just the latest uh, uh, long-standing African leader to be removed recently, just a week before Bashir. Algeria's ailing president, Abdelaziz Bouteflika, was also forced to step down on the program today we're asking why has the AU shifted its position when it comes to Sudan's political situation and also uh, to the ousting of uh, Omar al-Bashir. We're joined by Dr. Martin Rupia, the director at the African Public and Research Institute. We also have Professor Begi Temba Mgomezulu uh, from the University of the Western Cape's Political Sciences Department and we've got Dame Rosalind uh, Marston who's an associate fellow at Chatham House House. Uh, she was also a, a former uh, British ambassador to Sudan and then the EU special representative for Sudan and South Sudan. Well, let me start with you, uh, Dr. Martin Rupi. I mean, we've been speaking about Sudan for a while now, and it's very interesting in terms of the fact that, you know, um, Omar al-Bashir has been a friend of uh, the African Union for a very long time. We know that he, were, when he was in South Africa for an AU summit, he was actually asked to be extradited uh, to the ICC. There was a refusal under the banner of uh, the, uh, the African Union. And now we're seeing uh, the body in itself changing its position in terms of uh, Omar al-Bashir and uh, uh, the Sudan political situation. What are your thoughts around this, Doctor? Well, thank you for inviting us. My, my perspective is that uh, what we are seeing is um, you know, freedom for change forces who are the professionals, civilian-led, with young women, youth, you know, coming into uh, a play, uprising, in fact. Uh, and on the other hand, is a third layer of the Sudan military. You know, when uh, uh, the brigadier, uh, uh, you know, Omar al-Bashir was removed, uh, certain generals then stepped into power, uh, uh, and suddenly the uprising were not comfortable, you know, with that layer of uh, uh, generals taking over the transitional military council, and, and they stepped down. So in my view, you have a third layer that has come uh, forward. The position now is that... Uh, a committee of the Transitional Military Council who has been uh, engaging with the civilians has now been seen as not having taken the civilians seriously. So the AU may be perceived to be one of the external players that are, you know, ranged, you know, between the Saudis, you know, on the one hand, and also Egypt, you know, on the other, because the Egyptians had, in fact, recognize the Transitional Military Council. 
And at play is also what is called as political Islam on the one hand and moderate Islam, you know, grouping countries uh, in the Gulf region, you know, on the other. And, and, and the point we have reached is, is a very interesting one. Even as the African Union was sitting, you had this large freedom train arriving from, you know, the eastern city of Atabra with thousands of people, not only on the train, but also galvanizing a lot of the Sudanese people who are concentrated along the Nile. So one can see where we thought that the gathering outside this uh, military headquarters, the presidential and also the defense you know, force headquarters, uh, would, would they, you know, be exhausted. The arrival of the freedom train, I think, has energized uh, uh, the protesters. And so going forward, there is almost a disconnect uh, and an absence of aligning uh, uh, interests and the intentions between what I call the third layer of the military on the one hand and the Sudanese uh, civilian protectors on the, on the other. But don't you find it contradictory that now the AU is coming out uh, with uh, its uh, own uh, set of demands from uh, um, this particular uh, military council due to the fact that, uh, as I highlighted in my intro, that uh, Omar al-Bashir has been a friend of uh, the AU for a very long time. Isn't this a hypocritical stance now that's been taken uh, by the AU, Dr. Rupia? Certainly there is a disconnect in what the AU position has been announced. Of course, it almost simply nuances what the military council itself had uh, you know, announced. A 90-day you know, state of emergency, uh, everybody goes back home, and then maybe you know, a two-year period of uh, interim uh, run uh, by the uh, transitional military council before they hand over to the civilians. So the AU position is in fact uh, uh, very much aligned to that. It is completely at odds with what the people on the streets are demanding. Uh, um, for them, they have not seen any value and any delivery from the military running the Sudanese affairs. Uh, there have been attempts by, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, United you know, Arab Republic, trying to offer, you know, huge resources uh, towards uh, the military council. And the people's protests have, you know, clearly said, you know, keep your money. So, yes, there is a disconnect in what the AU is adopting. So one needs to look at the uh, interests of the AU member states who sat in this Troika meeting, as it were, quote-unquote. And certainly Egypt is one country where uh, uh, issues of democracy uh, and of transition, the moral you know, high ground cannot be adopted by some of the members that mm-hmm. sit and adopted the AU position. Hmm. Let me come to you, Dame Rosalind Marston, an associate fellow at Chatham House. She's joining us on the line. Uh, Rosalind, what are your thoughts around the position of uh, the AU now? Uh, do you also see the contradictions that uh, Dr. Martin Rupia has highlighted? Well, um, good morning. Um, I think the African Union has, of course, had a, a long history of involvement in Sudanese affairs um, and has played a, a leading role in Sudan's peace processes uh, for a long, for, for over 10 years through um, the African Union High-Level Implementation Panel chaired by President uh, Thabo Mbeki. Um, I think what we've seen more recently is that when the protests started in December, 
um, in Sudan, the African Union uh, Commission chairman did issue a statement um, calling for restraint on all sides and, and reminding Sudanese political leaders of their collective responsibility to find peaceful solutions. But it fell short of condemning the gross human rights violations that were being committed by the Sudanese security forces, and I think was therefore seen as a relatively muted uh, response. And as far as I know, between the end of December and when, President, when Omar al-Bashir was ousted on the 11th of April, I didn't think there was any further response. Once that happened, of course, the African Union did respond with, a, with a, quite a strong statement um, on the 16th of April, um, condemning the, 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 the military takeover as an unconstitutional change of government and setting that, uh, that tight timetable of 15 days for the Transitional Military Council to hand over to a civilian administration um, or, or, or be faced with suspension from the African Union. Uh, but then, of course, we saw a couple of days ago with President al-Sisi hosting a summit of African leaders in Cairo that that deadline has already been now extended to three months. So um, it's very much to be hoped that the African Union will continue to keep up the pressure um, for rapid uh, um, transition to a, to a real um, civilian administration. Mm. Well, Rosalind, staying with you, I just want to look at this particular issue in terms of do you think that extension of the time period actually creates um, a certain uh, worry for some uh, people because could that not mean that the African Union is aligning itself with uh, the plans of uh, the Transitional Military Council? Um, it could be. It could be interpreted that way. I think we know that one member of the Transitional Military Council went to Addis Ababa to meet the chairman of the African Union Commission, and uh, it, it would appear that the, 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 the council was pressing for an extension. Uh, and then, following uh, Mr. Musafaki's visit to Khartoum, the meeting in Cairo took place quickly afterwards. So, um, it, it could be. It could be. Um, argue that this extension for three months gives the Transitional Military Council more more time to consolidate and might reduce pressure on it to meet the demands of the um, protesters. But on the other hand, I think we've seen in the last 24 hours that um, the Forces for Freedom and Change, um, who your previous speaker mentioned, this coalition of opposition parties, um, the Sudanese Professional Association, which has been spearheading the protests, uh, together with women and youth. They, um, yesterday, held a press conference in which they threatened to uh, step up the, uh, the, the protests and escalate them up to civil disobedience and a general strike. And it was quite noticeable that yesterday there was a meeting between the Forces for Freedom and Change and the Transitional Military Council, in which um, it appears that that meeting has gone rather better than previously. Uh, it's now been agreed to set up a joint committee to discuss transitional arrangements. And very significantly in parallel, the Transitional Military Council announced that three of the Islamist members of the council, um, who the protest movement regarded as a particular obstacle to change, have now um, submitted their resignation, although that hasn't yet been uh, finally accepted. 
so there seems uh, to be some movement going on, um, despite the um, decision by the African Union to extend the deadline for suspension. Okay, let me come to Professor Pegatemba Mgomezulu uh, from the University of the Western Cape. He's part of the Political Sciences Department there. Uh, Professor Mgomezulu, thank you for also giving us your time. What are your thoughts in terms of where we are with this discussion? Because I think both uh, the Dame Rosalind Marston has highlighted uh, a few interesting dynamics in terms of the changes, especially the later statement in what she said of uh, uh, engagement uh, between the protests and also the council, but in the context of uh, the African Union as well, it's very interesting also to look at this particular extension in terms of the handover of power to civilians, Professor. No, thank you very much, and thank you very much to my colleagues as well. No, I think that, uh, as my colleagues have just stated, uh, the situation is not as simple as it appears at face value. The AU is pressed between the rock and the hard place. On the one hand, you have the AU, which has clear policies, which has clear decisions as to what happens in an event that um, um, power is taken um, by anyone uh, outside of the democratic processes. And then on the other hand, we have a reality on the ground where the, um, the AU has to listen to the voices, as it were, and then act accordingly. So if you look at the situation in Algeria, look at the situation in Libya, look at the situation in Zimbabwe, and then now the situation in Sudan, you find uh, um, uh, some similarities in a way that uh, you, uh, you try to identify the role players, people who should be credited for the change of that. Uh, if you look at the Zimbabwean situation, for example, you might say that uh, the military should be credited for the ousting of former President um, Robert Mugabe. And then you look at uh, the Sudan situation, the question then uh, comes, who should be credited for the ousting uh, of uh, President al-Bashir? Because uh, you had people who went to camp outside the military base and outside the compound where uh, President al-Bashir was residing. And now the question is, what was the AU's position when those kinds of developments took place? Were they not supposed to act as a, pre- as a preemptive measure or in fact to try and avert a situation whereby there would be bloodbath? But then that didn't happen until such time that um, these people were camping outside the military camp and camping outside the compound where President al-Bashir was residing, said to the military, can you please come to our rescue? And then eventually, of course, uh, President al-Bashir was ousted. So then the question is, who should be credited for that? Is it the civilians or is it the military? And then what role then does the AU play? Now al-Bashir is no longer the president. Now we have the Transitional Military Council, as my colleague um, Sarupia was saying then. Now the question then is, should the AU legitimize the Transitional Military Council or should it disown it and therefore call for an immediate uh, replacement of civilian rule? In this case, there was a two-week period whereby they said that the the Transitional Military Council should hand over power to civilian rule. That didn't happen. And instead of uh, reprimanding uh, those who were responsible for that, they have in fact extended it to three months. So then for someone who is sitting out there and watching the AU at play, they might say the AU is in fact legitimizing uh, this um, removal of a president um, forcefully without following the democratic processes. Because if you allow them for three months, then the question is who is now in charge? 
uh, of Sudan? If the answer is it is the military, mm. would you say then that is in line with the AU principles and sure. policies? So those are some of the questions yeah. that remain unanswered. Great questions there. I'll pose them back to our other two guests after this break. Thank you uh, for that insight, Professor Mgomezulu. Let's take a quick break and we'll forward those uh, concerns by the professor in terms of uh, who is now going to be in charge if there is this extension that has been given by the African Union. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back after this. The SABC News mobile app is your one-stop digital portal to all the news you need. Stay connected with the latest and breaking stories. Watch the SABC News channel along with clips and live streams of all the big news events and listen to all the SABC radio stations live, including podcasts and much more. Simply download the SABC News app to your Android or iOS device from either the Play Store or the App Store. SABC News, independent, impartial. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. It's 25 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us uh, right here as we're broadcasting from the SAPC studios in Auckland Park. That's in Johannesburg, South Africa. Today, we're looking at the AU's position when it comes to Sudan. And uh, we joined, if you're just joining us now, by Dame Rosaline Marston, who's an associate fellow at Chatham House. She was also a former British ambassador to Sudan and then the EU special representative for Sudan and South Sudan. Dr. Martin Rupia is with us once again on the program, the director at the African Public and Research Institute. And last but not least, we have Professor Abegi Temba Mgomezulu from the University of the Western Cape. He is a part of their political sciences department. Let me come to you, um, Rosalind, because those questions are pertinent that were asked by Professor Abegi Temba Mgomezulu because that means that... uh, in terms of this issue that was highlighted by Professor, the question around then who will be actually in the uh, control seat in the next three months, that's the big question. And how does that sit in line of uh, uh, the role of the AU in terms of uh, its own uh, uh, mandate and its intervention in this regard? Well, I, I think that is absolutely the key question, and that is the issue which the forces of freedom and change are very much focused on. Um, They are demanding that um, the Transitional Military Council should be dissolved, and it should be replaced by a civilian Transitional Council, but with some military representatives on it. And I think the key point here is that although the Transitional Military Council has said that they're willing to consider having a civilian prime minister and a civilian cabinet of technocrats. The, unless the transitional council, which holds the powers, is also controlled by civilians, then the, the fear for the protest movement is that the cabinet and the prime minister would simply be puppets of the transitional military council. So the question is, who's in charge? Will it be a civilian-led Transitional Council, or will the military insist on retaining uh, control? Now, um, of course, the protest, protest, uh, protesters are jubilant that after 30 years, Omar al-Bashir has gone, and that some of his inner circle 
and senior Islamist politicians and corrupt businessmen have been arrested. But they are still concerned that although some of the faces have changed, uh, military and security members of the old regime are still uh, in charge in the sense that um, most of the 10 members of the Transitional Military Council were members of the security committee under the Bashir regime. So um, we've seen that General Burhan himself, the chairman of the council, has made some conciliatory statements and the council has made some concessions to the protesters. But nevertheless, uh, the key issue of who is there going to be a transition to genuine civilian rule has not yet been answered. Dr. Rupia, your thoughts? Dr. Rupia, your thoughts on, on this? Yeah, well, I agree with uh, you know uh, the comments that my colleagues are making. And, and the question we need to ask ourselves is that what is it that we expect to be happening during the transitional period? And for me, there are three critical things that must take place. The first is, of course, there must be a change of policies. Certainly, protesters are arguing that the National Congress Party and al-Bashir has not been able to adopt pro-poor and pro-development policies. The second is everyone is talking about rewriting the Constitution during the transitional period. And certainly the third will be to reform the institutions of the public sector, of government. Now, whoever takes the lead will then influence how this goes. And of course, I think the fourth factor is the alliances that they are going to be working with from outside. Certainly when you look at the AU position, the AU has a policy in place where any unconstitutional change of government is condemned and sanctions are imposed. Now, certainly already for Egypt, who is chairing the AU uh, you know, for, for this year, they have come out clear in support of the Transitional Military Council. So, so you have these dynamics that are you know, underplay. And what we hope to see during the transition, uh, I think, is now uh, the struggle between the you know, change uh, forces on the one hand and the third layer of the military, in my view, you know, on the other hand. Mm. Professor Mgomenzuli, what are your thoughts there? Because uh, both Rosalind and uh, Dr. Rupia are highlighting the fact that uh, Egypt's position, and we've already heard uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Egypt's president who holds the rotating presidency of the AU, actually supports the military council. Does that actually delegitimize or actually compromise uh, the position of the African Union? Uh, absolutely, it does. And it has been the case for quite some time uh, because uh, one of the reasons why the AU has not been able to achieve its uh, set goals is simply because it is divided to the core. Whenever there are meetings, you get a sense that uh, the heads of state will agree on something in principle, but then they will not go ahead and ratify whatever was agreed to. If you look at the Malabo, the, the, the Malabo agreement, for example, very few countries have, so, uh, have signed it, even though they all agreed in principle this is right, but then when they leave the meeting, they start um, lobbying one another uh, off camera, and then you find that uh, the AU is not getting to where it is supposed to go. In this case, uh, Egypt is supposed to take the lead by virtue of the fact that it is currently uh, leading the AU. Then we would expect that uh, 
uh, in fact, the uh, I mean the Egyptian leadership under ASSC will be then championing the cause for civilian rule, which is enshrined in the AU Charter. But then in this case, you have someone who is legitimizing the Transitional Military Council. Then you ask yourself, is this person still a member of the AU? Because if he's a member of the AU, then uh, the, the next question will be, on which grounds then does he authenticate this particular structure instead of um, uh, uh, I mean, encouraging uh, the setting up of a, a civilian transitional council, as my colleague uh, Mohsen is saying. Because the moment you legitimize uh, a military role, you are basically saying that it's okay for the military to oust a president or a prime minister and then take over control uh, outside of um, a civilian zone, which is. Then you go back to the uh, AU chart and you go, you go back to the AU policies, you find that what you are saying and what is contained in the document are two worlds apart. On the three issues that um, uh, the Arabia is raising, these are very critical issues. Uh, when you ask the question, what then? And then it talks about this change of policy, uh, uh, um, basically uh, trying to rewrite the constitution and then coming up with constitutional reforms. Of course, these are key in terms of taking Sudan forward. But then the the question is, will the time be enough for them to do that? Right now, we are talking about the leadership, which is a problem in its own. And then, of course, uh, there is a time frame, because for that to happen, you need ample time to do it, and you must be reading from the same script. And as things stand right now, I don't think that is the case, including, of course, uh, the Troika and including the AU in general. So we have a problem. Mm. Let me take one more break and then we'll come back and uh, get our final part of this discussion. Is the AU's role needed or should we leave it alone to the people of uh, Sudan to self-determine the path that they want for their own country? We'll deal with that question after this. The SABC News mobile app is your one-stop digital portal to all the news you need. Stay connected with the latest and breaking stories. Watch the SABC News channel along with clips and live streams of all the big news events and listen to all the SABC radio stations live, including podcasts and much more. Simply download the SABC News app to your Android or iOS device from either the Play Store or the App Store. SABC News, independent, impartial. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, and thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama. This is African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday, we host panel discussions on the program where we look at the big issues on the African continent. And uh, today, we're having a very interesting discussion looking at the AU's uh, decision to actually uh, intervene in the Sudan uh, political situation. And let's wrap it up. Dr. Martin Rupia, before the break, I asked the question, uh, should we leave it just to the people of uh, Sudan to self-determine where they want to go with this particular process? And maybe the African Union should stand at bay and watch. Is that an option, Dr. Rupia? 
I, I don't think, you know, it's an option. Uh, the, the people on the streets are begging for both continental and external support. They are making a statement that misgovernance has reduced Sudan to a basket state. And, and so, you know, it does not benefit any, you know, African, uh, for that matter, to stand and watch. And even, you know, those uh, international community colleagues that, uh, you know, have an African policy. Uh, so we need to respond in some form as to how we can assist the transition that is that is you know created the crisis of you know governance uh, uh, you know in Sudan. Al Bashir is has been locked up. The the civilian uh, you know freedom forces for change you know are on the streets, and then you have uh, you know a clique you know of the military that are still holding on to power in some of the institutions. And there has to be a way either by the region or the continent or even the United Nations to step in and intervene and assist a transition. Already more than 60 people were killed, if you recall, before al-Bashir 6th of you know, April you know, was, was, was uh, forced to stand down. So we don't need to have more lives you know, being lost. But I think it is you know, uh, not in anybody's interest for us to watch without intervening in a very substantive way that assists the people that are on the streets. Mm. Um, Rosalind, I mean, you've said that you know, you've been part of this process where you've seen an engagement of the African Union trying to be a mediator in terms of a political so- solution in Sudan. Do you think this intervention is still essential? I, I think that at the moment the negotiations are being are taking place on the street. Um, I think that the real pressure for change um, is being driven me, by the hundreds of thousands of Sudanese people who are on the streets of Khartoum and other cities across the country. Um, and it's, it seems clear that the Transitional Military Council are responding to pressure from the people. Um, that said, of course, um, it's also important that the African Union and the international community more broadly also continues to keep up the pressure on the Transitional Military Council to move swiftly to civilian rule. And I think that's uh, the, the most effective role that the African Union and other governments who want to assist can play. Of course, if and when we get to the stage where there is genuine civilian rule, then, of course, the, the new government, civilian government, would be in great need, no doubt, of assistance from the region, from the international community, in terms of rebuilding the country and implementing reforms. But I think the, the essential thing is to listen to the wishes of the forces for freedom and change. Uh, Professor, you know, earlier on you highlighted the issue of the fact that there is kind of a divide even within the African Union context. Um, do you think the suggestions by Dr. Martin Rupia and uh, Rosalind Marston are actually possible in that uh, uh, kind of fragmented position that the African Union finds itself that you described earlier? No, I think that uh, my colleagues are absolutely right, but I also think that it's incumbent upon the AU to act on this issue. We had the Rwandan crisis, the, the, there was no action from Africans to try and contain the situation. 
you have the situation in Libya, there was very little attempt until it was very late, and NATO had to come in. So now we have an opportunity where the AU can redeem itself, especially on the issue of Sudan, so that at least the issue is addressed by Africans, which is in line, of course, with what the AU has decided, having African solutions to African problems. We cannot wait for another NATO to come and to take terms in Sudan. So it's incumbent upon the AU then to put their defenses aside, all member states, to put their defenses aside and then take the interests of the Sudanese people uh, and then put them forward and then act uh, quickly. Because if you allow the situation to deteriorate, then of course the NATO will be forced to come in, the UN will be forced to come in, and all member states of those uh, formations, they have their own national interests and they would want to push those national interests. Just the other day, we heard that uh, President Trump has supported a military ruler, uh, a, a military leader in Libya, and he's saying that, uh, uh, of course, he's fully behind him. And then the question is, how does he support someone with a military background, who's leading a military group, where instead of, his, of um, basically uh, uh, supporting civilian, uh, civilian members to, to take over control? So if then we don't act as the AU, mm. definitely other people are going to act on our behalf, and we are going to look bad. To the international community, mm. Dr. Martin Rupia, final sentiments. Certainly, I agree with uh, Bekeve. Uh, if we allow a vacuum uh, to be created, then other players will step in. Already, as I indicated, there are countries, uh, you know, within the Gulf region that are attempting to influence and change the dynamics. Uh, a number of countries have already indicated uh, willingness to provide the resources and even international foreign policy, diplomatic support to the you know, Transitional Military Council. And so you have the protesters on the streets without serious and substantive support uh, uh, fighting against all these dynamics. And it is, I think, incumbent on the African Union to step in more robustly and invite uh, uh, countries in the region, in the Horn, to also take responsibility and allow a proper democratic transition to take place. You can see the type of misgovernance that had been taking place. Uh, uh, money being looted, being discovered in the president's you know, uh, uh, house, etc. And, and, and the derelict of institutions mm-hmm. that have been uh, you know, allowed to happen. So in my view, the last word would be Africa has to take full responsibility and in behind the protesters, behind the people on the streets to create conditions of true transition, democracy, and development. Mm. Um, uh, Dame Rosalind Marston, your final sentiments. Um, well, thank you. Well, I, I think I very much agree with the two other speakers. I think the essential thing for the African Union is that it needs to stay true to its values and its principles and be seen to be standing on the side of the Sudanese people who are fighting for freedom, peace, and justice. Um, as uh, one of the other speakers said, this really is an opportunity for the African Union, in a sense, to redeem itself and looking to the future to be seen to be really uh, joining with, with all, all the other countries, including the European Union and the Troika countries, the US, Norway and the UK, in pressing for a swift transition uh, to civilian uh, rule and not to allow itself to backtrack from that position. 
Well, thank you so much to all our guests for giving us their time. Thank you to Dame Rosalind Marston. She's an associate fellow at Chatham House. She is also the former British ambassador to Sudan and then the EU special representative for Sudan and South Sudan. Thank you as well to Dr. Martin Rupia, the director at the African Public and Research Institute. We also appreciate Professor Begi Tembam Gomezulu for joining us. He's from the University of the Western Cape's Political Sciences Department. We thank you for your participation.